Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. We've received great feedback about our previous Global Autism Community episodes, so we've decided to release another one. The topic of this roundtable discussion was Preparing for Adulthood, and its diverse panel included Danny Bowman, Robert Schmoos, Cheryl Albright, and Cami McGovern. Danny is an autism self-advocate, animator, illustrator, teacher, and public speaker. Robert is also an autism self-advocate, licensed clinical social worker, and writer. Cheryl is an occupational therapist, certified yoga instructor, and autism sibling. Cammie is the mother of a 25-year-old autistic adult and has recently published a book titled Hard Landings, Looking into the Future of a Child with Autism. Other community members who participated in this event were Jeff Snyder, David Sharif, Kia Burton, and Karen Shapiro. As with previous community event recordings, The sound quality is a bit inconsistent because we hadn't originally planned it as a podcast episode. However, we've done our best to improve it, and I assure you that the stories and perspectives shared are really worth listening to. In today's conversation, we discuss support and programs to help transition into adulthood, essential skills that children and adolescents ought to learn, different adult services available across the U.S., living independently versus in communities, applying for college or a job, and financial planning and budgeting. In this episode, discover what's possible when we expand the meaning of independence. To learn more about the panelists in this discussion, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Roundtable discussions like the one you'll hear today are open exclusively for members of our online Global Autism community. We select a different theme each month, and our moderators monitor posts daily to ensure that our online space remains safe and respectful. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you the Global Autism Community. We're just going around and we're going to give some quick introductions. And then after this, we can spotlight the panelists and I'll go over the format of today's discussion. Danny, let's start with you. All right. Hi, I am Danny Bowman. I am the founder and CEO of Danny Nation Entertainment, an animation social enterprise since 2009. I have a BFA in animation and an MBA in global strategy and leadership, and I'm planning to go after my PhD in positive developmental psychology. I started Danny Nation Entertainment because From a very young age, we on the autism spectrum are overlooked due to our challenges in communication, social, and life skills. And our goal is to help people with autism rise above the status quo by encouraging them to build upon their unique strengths 
and capabilities to build self-confidence, work skills, independent living, and employability. So Danimation entertains, educates, elevates, and employs people with autism through our animation programs. And I'm so happy to be one of the panelists for this uh, panel discussion that talks about transitioning into adulthood. Thank you, Danny. And Robert. I'm Robert or Bob Schmoos. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I'm, I'm mainly a therapist. I work with adolescents on the autism spectrum. I'm also an autistic self-advocate on the spectrum myself. As a self-advocate, I do speaking engagements and also write articles based on advocacy. I've spoken at many conferences and workshops, and I want want to definitely continue on this. I'm also a writer, and I also want to work with helping the community in any way possible. I also have my own business with my friend, Nick, who is also on the spectrum, which we help fellow autistics advocate for themselves. Great. Thanks, Robert. And Cheryl? Good evening. My name is Cheryl Albright. I'm the owner of Soul to Soul Yoga and All Ages Therapy Services located in Bradenton, Florida. I'm an occupational therapist, yoga therapist, and a sibling to a brother on the autism spectrum. Thanks, Cheryl. And Cami. Hi, I am a writer of primarily fiction, but I am also the mom of three boys and the eldest of whom has autism. And my latest book is a nonfiction about his transition to adulthood. And the year I spent just prior to the pandemic going around and looking at what transition or that kind of falling off the disability cliff was like in different states around the country and learned a whole lot that it is, uh, it varies a great deal and different states are doing this transition, this transition that is so frightening to parents and individuals alike in this community very, very differently. And I was trying to do it looking with a positive spin of what were the great possibilities that I was seeing that some states aren't realizing it's even possible and others are going ahead and and doing setting up really interesting work opportunities and making more happen. And it was fascinating. And then I just wrote this book that's just coming out this week called Hard Landings. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations, Tammy. <laughs> All right. And our moderators, Jeff. Hey, guys. My name is Jeff Snyder. I am a autism and neurodiversity self-advocate and public speaker based in Seacock, Massachusetts, near Providence, Rhode Island. Upon my graduation from high school in 2007, I became the first autistic student to have completed pre-K through grade 12 in the Seacock public school system without coming from other towns or school districts. Oh, wow. Wow. Yep. Also, since 2015, I've been living in my own apartment, not far from where I work My day jo- from my day job. I am where I am a uh, janitorial specialist for a large supermarket chain here in the Northeast. I also run a website blog called Going the Distance. And if you guys are interested, I post the link in the chat wall where I do blogs every Monday through Friday. I have completed my 57th blog as of this morning. In addition, I also place my speaking services as well. I do fan conventions. I do conferences, trainings, both virtually and in person. 
And I also do volunteer work. As a matter of fact, I'm a core volunteer for the Autism Tree Project Foundation based in San Diego, in addition to being a moderator for the Autism Knows No Borders My Network's platform in the virtual universe. Thanks, Jeff. David. Hi, I am David Sharif. I am a global autism advocate based in Queens, New York City. I am a magnet cum laude graduate of Pace University with a degree in political science and peace and justice studies. And I am the first student from my school, not my college, but a special needs school that I went to back in the Los Angeles area. I am their first student to go to a prominent university out of my home state. And in the autism world, I was admitted to the National Disability Speakers Bureau Jewish Division with respectability. I published my first book, The Empowerment of My Condition, a book of poems reflecting my autism journey. I will put all of that in the chat. And if any of you are on Facebook, I would love for you to click a like on my platform, Venturing Incredible Abilities, David Sharif. I will put that in the chat as well. And to conclude my icebreaker, I am a huge, 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 huge Kobe Bryant lover with my poster and also with this wristband on me. So I would love to dedicate this round table to the Black Mamba whose birthday was yesterday, who would have been 43 if he was still here. I miss you, Black Mamba. Thanks, David. And Kia. Hey, everyone. My name is Kia. I get to work with David, Jeff, and Rachel as a moderator for the community page. So I'm sure you guys have seen my face on there posing questions and everything. I currently reside in Texas. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst. Uh, I've been working with individuals with autism and other disabilities for over 10 years now. And as my bio says, on our community, one of my main purposes and passions is fostering meaningful lives for individuals with autism. So I'm really excited about this particular platform and this subject today because teaching vocational skills, independent living, again, creating and fostering that meaningful life, whatever that looks like for the individual is really, really important and special to me. A lot of my clients were either, you know, 18, 19, transitioning on, or I had a lot of adult clients, and I really think that this is going to be such a great event, so very excited to be a part of this day, everybody. Thanks, Kia. Thank you. And Ben. Hi, everyone. My name is Ben. I am blessed to be the brother, older brother of David Sharif, who introduced himself earlier so well. I am a filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm currently developing a feature-length documentary about the transition to adulthood for individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, I say developing because we're still in the research phase of the project, and the goal is ultimately to find different autistic adults or people navigating those transitions to feature in the film so that we can present what it is like to experience those transitions, but also 
in an empowering light to show what people in the autism community are capable of and not just what they struggle with. But yeah, I'm, I look forward to learning from everyone here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Hi, Karen. Hi, good to see everyone. I'm Karen Shapiro. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I am the proud, very proud mom of Ben and David Sharif. And I am a film producer by profession and have been for longer than they've been around. And I'm producing the documentary that Ben is directing, as well as several other documentaries. And I look forward to hearing what everyone has to say and learning from everyone here today. All right. So the topics we'll be covering today are support and programs to help transition into adulthood, independent living and adult services, applying for a job or for college, financial planning, and hopefully if we have time, we can touch on sexual education. We'll run through some questions for the panelists, and then after each topic or whenever it's more appropriate, I'll open up questions and comments to the audience members. And if you have comments in the meantime, before we open it up, you can go ahead and put them in the chat and our moderators will attend to them and make sure we get them answered. Let's start with support and programs to help transition into adulthood. And so I'd like to open this up to our self-advocates, Danny and Robert, and you can share what kinds of programs you've participated in that have helped you to transition into adulthood? So when it comes to transitioning into adulthood, I don't think I've ever participated in a program that helps me transition to adulthood. However, what I did participate in is called um, UCLA Peers Program. It has nothing to do with transitioning to adulthood, but it helps keep friendships. That's about um, friendship and connections, which actually really helped. You have some ideas, Robert? I did some like support groups mostly, like not too many when I was like in high school. And there wasn't really much, too much around where I was back then. This was like 2006, 2007. But, you know, I think, you know, now like there's been much better stuff out there, really. And I think there should be more of those programs. Yeah, I totally agree with what. Robert says. Okay. So let me frame it in a different way. What skills do you think are essential in transitioning into adulthood? Like maybe even thinking about what you wish you had learned sooner. I would say, you know, they gave you like, you know, like what they have now is like, you know, a job readiness program. Like during the school day, they would take you to like a job site that sort of thing would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that a lot of schools like are doing now, what I didn't have the chance to when I was young. And also I think giving them certain skills in which they're able to find how to like write a check, how to like pay bills, how to make your bed, you know, those type of skill sets is something that I feel would are necessary. And also when it comes to understanding mental health, self-care, those are things that I feel are needed. 
since I have my own social enterprise known as Dini Nation Entertainment, what I do is, is that I help um, youth on the autism spectrum just turn their passions in animation into a career path. And what and the services that we do at Dini Nation is that we help them, like for example, help them learn working why working in teams is so important, how they can just um, like, for example, if they have a essential skill in storyboarding, storyboarding would be a great skill. And I also teach them the importance of deadlines. For example, I had, um, we had a team of 12 that participated in the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. The film that we produced was called um, Home Office, the Making of Cartoon HQ. This is a great, great challenge that I had students participate in and we won for best editor for the film challenge. Yet then again, for me, I wish I had these, when it comes for me to transition to adulthood, I wish they have, um, I wish they have, there's more programs that would help transition into, um, help turn their passions into a career path. It's different for everyone. Some people think it's important to live on your own as soon as possible. Mm. Mm-hmm. Independence means something different for different people, right? And Cheryl, I want to turn it to you. Could you share what your role is as your brother's guardian? So, yeah, no, I took over my brother's guardianship uh, last year and it's a legal document. It means that I'm in charge of all of his civil rights. And so I know that looks different in different countries, but here in the U.S., that means basic things like the right to vote and financials and um, legal, it all all falls on me. He lives in a group home. And so I'm in charge of his finances. I make sure that the rent to the group home gets paid, that doctor's appointments get followed up on. Anything that he may need for basic self-care is taken care of and those kind of things. So when I talk about transitioning to adulthood, my thoughts are a little bit different. He is not verbal. He is not in a place where he can take care of himself. He needs 24-hour supervision. And so back in the late 90s, there was nothing. It was you went to high school until you were 21, and you went to a, an adult day training that looks like daycare. And I think he regressed in a lot of ways. He was communicating and using facilitated communication, which is controversial and not used really anymore. But now, you know, we're fighting with him to communicate in his 40s. So I think that he dropped off that cliff that somebody um, mentioned earlier. And, you know, we're still trying to fight for that to come back. So my opinion is that adult day training centers should not look like modified daycare. Hmm. Robert, you have your hand up? Yeah. So, Cheryl, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I do believe the things that were out there and unfortunately still are, are the fact that these so-called training day center day programs don't really help them with too much. But too much. And you know what? The thing I want to, I do, what I advocate for is to focus on using their interests as a skill and making, seeing like what they're interested in. Let's make that into a skill. It could be a life skill, work skill. I agree. I 
had a lovely chat with his recent day program about that. And they were concerned that they couldn't get him engaged with stuff. And I said, well, you need to talk to him, not at him. Yes. And <laughs> um, treat him like treat him like a human being, like you would have a conversation with anyone else and he might actually do something for you. So yes, I agree. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Meet them where they're at. When you meet them where they're at, you know what they want. I think it's too for too long. It's been that autistic individuals and their families have been talked down to talked down to, to the point where, okay, it's best that you do this. It's better that your, your sibling can do that. When in reality, they're not really looking in the bigger picture of it. Right. It, and the services now are a little different than they were. And so it's hard to, you know, mid nineties, things were a little bit different. I mean, 1990 IDA was finally signed and it's just different. And so I feel like if the communication would have been carried over from high school and engaged in something meaningful that we wouldn't be fighting for it now. Right. So I think maybe this would be a good time, Cami, for you to share what you discovered about the different types of adult services across the U.S. I was looking at the um, folks that were transitioning out of academics. So my son is 25 years old. I had started this when he was approaching 21. I wrote um, an article in the New York Times that got a lot of notice. And it was right when he was approaching this point where nothing was working out for him and all the transition services that are federally mandated now between the ages of 18 and 22 demand that they get vocational placements and trial jobs. Nothing had worked out and we were quite despairing. And then at the very end, there was, we found a farm that he worked on it's a congregate setting because it employs people with developmental disabilities and it specializes in that. And it's been a terrific match for him. And he's been there ever since he's 25 now. But my curiosity is what is working well when I was traveling around and what I discovered is a whole lot of businesses that are founded in some way from the inception using autistic individuals strengths as part of it and then supporting needs or accommodating from the get-go. And so I was visiting places that ended up being somewhat congregate settings, but it was because the whole business model was, was orchestrated around them. There's a wonderful place in Colorado that I think is very replicable called Blue Star Recyclers. It's um, technological computer recycling. And now I've been hearing about it happening in different sites around the country. And it's individuals trained specially to just take apart computers. And it works in states where electronic recycling is mandated. And they are earning, you know, starting at minimum wage and moving up. And they are running their own floor operation. Independence is really possible for individuals that aren't necessarily what we would consider high functioning, verbal, or otherwise. I, I was just so impressed with that. Same with um, some car washes in Florida, Rising Tide Car Wash. One of my impressions was that the fear of congregate settings that still exists with legislators and with care provide with older care providers 
is that it takes away the opportunity for the support that's possible in settings where individuals can come together. That was much better for my son. And I think I've been hearing it's much better. It's a happier, it can be create places where differences are not so marked and they're not having to contain stim impulses and and self-talk and all of that. That's what was so difficult for my son. I think in the looking for successful, productive engagement in viable work, that should still be considered. That was one of my big takeaways. Another big takeaway is that some states are doing some things really well and some Massachusetts offers a whole lot of services, day services for people. That's where we live for people directly graduating their school programs. So they're not falling off a cliff in this state and about three others in the country. But in other places, there's no services offered. There's a seven to 10 year wait. That's a far more common and more standard. Seven to 10 year wait in in places like Florida and Texas for the waiver funding. And you're in Florida, right? You're nodding and saying yes. And that's so agonizing because it sets up a whole thing of parents defeated before they even begin or family members because you're a sibling of how do I get into this? And one of my takeaways is that in Florida, there's more evidence of family members and groups coming together and just creating what they needed to create. And it's creating communities and creating whatever it is, small groups for socializing. Or um, anyway, that was one of mine that when the when the state isn't doing it for families, families are are pretty it's pretty electrifying and impressive what families are doing for themselves. And we have a lot less of that in Massachusetts, a lot less. I want to take a pause and open it up to the audience. If you have any comments or questions at this point, Jeff, I see you're writing some in the chat. Do you want to elaborate, Jeff? Well, first off, I was listening to Cammie. In Massachusetts, I worked with an organization called Attleboro Enterprises, and they are an organization that helps neurodiverse individuals with job skills, living skills, financial skills. And actually, my former neighbor is the CEO of Attleboro Enterprises, and my dad is actually chairman of the board. So we're very well connected with Attleboro Enterprises. And the one thing I wish I did was working with Attleboro Enterprises while I was still in high school. That's my biggest regret. And what I mean by that is you could start learning basic skills when you're still in high school. You could even start working in like retail or quiet desk job environment while you're like 16 or 17 and start gaining the skills necessary for when you go to college or when you are trying to, you know, get your own apartment. And unfortunately for some people, some people in like rural rural communities struggle with finding the right resources because there's not a whole lot out there. And when the time comes, they have to, you know, get in their car and travel to an, to an agency that's like, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or even an hour away from them. I mean, I actually, one of my followers and friends on Facebook is a mom from Virginia who lives in a rural area and her son is 15. And she told me that it's very, very hard 
in a place like Virginia to find a helpful agency down there, especially given the location she, she lives in. Robert, you have something to add? Um, yeah, I was just, you know, I was going to one, you know, Jeff, what you said that one group where it was in Massachusetts, that sounds like a really good idea because it actually gets them the skills they need early and also help seems to help them with getting those skills and also showing them what type of environment they feel they would succeed the most in. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And also, you know, I agree also with the rural areas, a lot of rural areas have don't have those programs like available. Yes. Yes. Yeah. David, do you have anything to add about your experience transitioning and what skills you think are essential? In terms of payments, my father, my brother and I, and my mother's spouse, my father is a certified financial consultant for Ameriprise. He is the one who has helped me with budget sheets, paying my bills, but now I pay my own bills and learning the differences of the cards that I am using. I pay for my own rent. And when my brother and mother and I were apartment hunting in 2020, before the pandemic came, before my employment, we were searching for the residences carefully and accurately in terms of the living space and the pricing. And instead of just saying how long it took, we put our foot forward with it and we managed to find a good one for me that has a fair monthly rent. And um, that has been a big resource for trying to get the living done with bills. In terms of programs, in college, I participated in employment readiness workshops within a comprehensive support program that I was a part of as a student at Pace University. Originally, upper sophomores were eligible to participate in the workshops that the students are trained in for job preparation, interview, cover letter, writing, resume, drafting, communication, and behavior in the workplace. But now it is actually reserved for juniors and seniors. Last time I heard and watched an update of a virtual interview from the staff of the program. And I am very certain, and I can assure you that there are some programs out there out of the educational setting that will provide supports for those on the spectrum on how to succeed in the workplace and all of the factors that I have mentioned earlier, because you have to be able to apply those skills as they come. If you were to go to episode 26, where Thomas Island and I are in the same podcast together, we discuss accommodations and education and the workplace. That will be a good asset to what you have to do if you want to do your best in anything that is needed. So make sure to go and check that out. 
on your downtime. If you have time, I can happily go back to other posts that the moderators and I have done relating to this. But my biggest advice is know the best financial supports that suit you. If the individual needs more assistance with paying the bills, find a good residence or a good living space where they get the help of paying the bills and they don't rely on themselves to do it. I definitely agree with what um, David Sheriff has to say about um, autism and transitioning. And um, to talk about a little bit more about what I do at Danimation, in the past, when I started Danimation, I've been traveling around the country teaching animation to youth on the autism spectrum. And what I do with to help the students is that the students at Danimation eventually become part of the Danimation team. So um, in the past, before the pandemic happened, we used to teach animation in person, but then the 2020 pandemic happened. This, however, gave us full access to do online one-on-one -on -one sessions and virtual workshops via Zoom. And the beauty of it is that some of my students that I've been teaching over the one-on-one -on -one sessions in the animation workshops eventually become part of our, become part of our animation team. And what we do at Danimation is that we eventually help them take the student's strength. What, like, for example, if a student is really good at character design, their strength is character design. And eventually their character design would be their biggest strength. One student could be a good editor and one student can actually be a good lead character animator or storyboard artist and so on and so forth. As I've mentioned earlier, we do provide um, animation opportunities like um, contests, like for example, I've mentioned the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. Like the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge, we teach them about the importance of doing deadlines. And why is it important to teach youth on the autism spectrum deadlines, whether in the animation production field or in other jobs, deadlines are something that, that a student would have, that a youth on the autism spectrum have to um, get used to. And I know, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that 95% of people with autism and other disabilities are unemployed and underemployed. So from a very young age, that people on the autism spectrum misunderstood and overlooked due to their challenges. And every decade, there are over 1 million people with autism leaving high school and questioning, what will I do for the rest of my life? And that's why I'm here to help um, youth on the autism spectrum transition their passion of animation into a career by helping them, by educating them and elevating them and empowering them. And that's what we do at Danimation. And of course, what Danny said, you know, I, I agree with that. You see, those programs such as this that focus on strengths and focusing on, on using them as skills, to me, personally, are going to be the most successful. It's true. Yes. and. Kami, I'd love for you to share your ideas about other skills, like other soft skills that could be essential to teach. What I learned, I, it was a question I asked a lot of employers. And I, what I was thinking about was the things that parents worry the most about and work are working with their child and focusing on during the school years. And one of the things that I learned as Ethan got older is that folk, and then this, this chorus is what a lot of people have said, but 
the really obsessing about things that were such a challenge for him and academic areas that were really challenging was not too terribly productive. And instead focusing on those skills that are important in workplaces, like being able to take instructions from an employer and adjust something, being corrected and redoing it. And those were things that were really hard for my son. But the interesting thing is that once he landed at a place where he felt really invested in the kind of collective spirit of it all, he got much better. So interestingly, when you guys were talking about, I wish we taught we had learned these things earlier on in school, that started very programmatically and very, uh, people were very good about that with Ethan and it had just started when he turned 16. You can have available work training, you can go to job sites, he went with an aide. And one thing he learned, it was a very important process, but he learned how to quit jobs that were too hard because one of his friends figured that out. After he turned 18, he could say, I quit. And they had to honor that. And even if I felt like he was just in a bad mood. And what then became important is is focusing on success and where he would feel successful. And that was ended up being at the farm. Rachel, if it was okay, I had a question for the self-advocates who live independently about one of the things that I was most impressed by when I traveled to Florida were the existence of what we do not have anywhere in Massachusetts, which is kind of intentional communities that have been created. It's apartment complexes, but it's developmentally disabled with a wide variety. And it was much more lightly staffed, I guess is how I would put it, with only two people in uh, money more during the day. But And what they were doing was of each other. They were teaching each other grocery shopping, cooking, lessons. And my question is, those of you who are living independently in your own apartment are the example of where the government would like every single autistic person to end up. (laughs) It really is. Independently in your own apartment, you are the shining example of a success story. Would you ever consider that it would be nice to be in a community with fellow folks with a similar background where you were mentoring others? Or is it in fact, would that be rolling things back for you? Does that question make sense? In our area in Massachusetts, they will not allow group homes. They they separate them. They don't want people clustered with disabilities of any kind. You can have four in a home and you have need a quarter mile or more in between homes. They do not want any clustering. And that's just a question I have, because I feel like there's there's strength when people are able to come together or help and assistance and genuine community. And it seems like we have laws in place in Massachusetts that work against that. Well, actually, you know what? I Honestly, for me, you know, like it always depends on the individual, but I do feel that, you know, an actual community can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. especially when starting independence because there is a group where myself and my fiance are part of called J high. They have a deal, deal with this apartment complex across from their ma- main office in which individual autistic individuals can live together with a roommate or they can live by themselves. And from, from what it seems it's been very successful. 
And I think it should be everybody's choice for everybody to live in, in the community or live on their or live on their own. Right. That's a great question, Cami. And actually I want to address a question to Cheryl. This is kind of a tangent, but I didn't get to ask it earlier. So when you are making decisions for your brother, with your brother, what is that process like? How involved is he in these kinds of big life decisions? The most recent one was to move him from New York to Florida, which sounds kind of backwards, um, especially after hearing Cammie's research. But he was being severely neglected in the New York state system. And so he, I asked, I didn't just move him. We were on a FaceTime call. He doesn't talk, but I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, do you want to get out of there? (laughs) Like, do you, you know, and it was quite clear that when we would pick him up and do things with him in New York and try to drop him off, he wouldn't get out of the car. Hmm. And so that was my sign that he was just done. And so when we got him out of there, he he didn't even look back. He was just like, I'm I'm done. When I moved him was at the peak. Well, I say now we're at the peak of the pandemic here. Florida's a hot mess, but that's a completely different conversation. Um, March of 2020, when things started to shut down, I still was able to get him navigated the system, got him into a placement within five and a half weeks. So I had things lined up ahead of time, which is unheard of, even without the pandemic. (laughs) Completely unheard of. I just knew, I learned the system. I knew how to use the system to my advantage. And as far as the placement, we had to take whatever was open. I couldn't work. Somebody has to have his eye on their eyes on him 24-7. So you know, me running my business, yes, I could take some time off, but it wasn't like I could just stop working altogether, which is what a lot of adults do here because of that seven to 10 year or longer waiting list to get services. And that's always been my argument when it comes to legislation. But anyway, he agreed to it. He didn't like the snow. He, they said he would get cranky in the winter. And so I said, Hey, do you want to move someplace where it doesn't snow? you know, there's nicer weather, you know, I kept it kind of simple, but he seemed to understand what I was talking about and was game for it. And he did a lot better on an airplane than I ever (laughs) expected he would do. And he's just kind of surprised everybody. So as far as that goes, yeah, he had some say, I didn't just say, okay, I'm here to move you. Like I did have conversations about it because people are like, oh, you show pictures of you two FaceTiming. And I was like, he's listening. I'm talking, but he, I mean, he had, some, he has some nonverbal communication. I know and he's listening and I know he's done because he flips that cat over. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, yeah. And your job as an occupational therapist, do you play any role or do you have any specific programs to prepare individuals for transitioning? Most of my programming comes from trying to keep the nervous system calm so you can function in any environment. So it's kind of the underpinning. So if I can give some coping skills and some ways to manage anxiety and fight or flight responses, that's kind of more of my role. 
there's other OTs that do a much better job when it comes to kind of life skills training. It's just, that's just not what I do. But my goal is that they're calm enough to do whatever they want to do and they're not triggered into that fight or flight response. And if they are, they know what to do about it. Yeah, and that kind of ties into what Bob was saying earlier about mental health awareness and support. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's transition, no pun intended, to applying for college or a job. And Danny and Robert, given your personal experiences, what helpful tips can you share for other autistic individuals? Well, transitioning into adulthood may be hard for anyone, but it's even harder if you're an autistic person like me. Change for us is very scary, and figuring out what we should do for the rest of our lives we transition to adulthood can be very confusing if we don't have the right support from families. However, if we focus on our passion and turn it into a career path with the help of our family, then transitioning will just happen naturally. It could be any passion. For example, if you love trains, then maybe you can focus on a career that is about trains on other automobiles. Some people who are into trains can actually be historians or engineers. For me, I've always loved animation ever since I could pick up a pencil. I was always drawing all over the house. My family, instead of asking me not to draw on the walls, they encouraged me. And as I got older, my family always encouraged me to do what I love and gave me all the tools that I need to develop my passion. However, going from high school to college was very scary because it was a different routine. So my family made sure I've always had assistance to transition in the first month or so of each semester in college to help me get acclimated. My family knew I could handle the academics just fine, but it was the transitional part that was difficult. Getting used to new routines, it's always scary for some of us, but we could do it. But some of us just need extra help in that department. And asking for accommodations is a good thing too, because it's another way of helping you succeed. There is no shame in having accommodations. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) The next scary transition is graduating from university and entering the actual workforce. I strongly recommend interning if you can. It would help you learn your field better. However, it's not necessary. I personally do not intern at an actual animation studio. Sometimes I wish I had, but I'm doing my best I can now. I think it would have been easier for me if I would have been interned at an animation studio. Now being in the workforce and running my animation studio can be challenging at times, Even though I have an MBA in Global Strategy Leadership and a BFA in animation, it's still hard for me to apply everything you learn, but I'm doing my best. Again, I'm not so sure if I could do it without the help and support of my family and my team. And as a 26-year-old woman with autism, I'm planning to someday live on my own by myself. But again, there's no rush. Right now, living with my family who are also my team members is what I need to do but I am planning to live my own someday. It's different for everyone. Some people think it's important to live on your own as soon as possible, and some of us would rather stay home. Not that we can't do it, it's just we prefer not to, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And to really um, agree with what Danny just said, you know, it really also depends on how the person feels and using that interest as a strength. That is very important, very, very much important. And that's why I honestly, fervently agree that focus on 
on what the autistic individual wants because I feel honestly for too long, like it was always been, Oh, what society wants them to do or what everyone else wants them to do when you re- when you have to really listen and that's what's needed. And also focus on when they're ready. Like for instance, change is big. Change can be scary, especially for autistic individuals, but really just, making sure that to help them through that time and just having the patience to help them because they can succeed. It's not just the patience. It's also the perseverance, the responsibility and finding the right people. And yes, of course, it's about focusing on your passion and learning how to be diligent and being on schedule. Right. Absolutely. I will also jump in on this one too. And for the parents listening, do not expect the sibling to be the backup plan. <laughs> we have our own lives. We get married. We go, we move out. Absolutely. I have heard more and more times, well, the plan is and the sibling just moves in with me. It is a two-way street, not an assumption. And for me, what I tell to my students at the end of their summer camps or whether at their one-on-one workshops, what I tell to my students is that uh, do not let anybody say you cannot do this or you cannot do that. Just look straight in the eye well. Actually look straight at them and say, yes, I can and I will. Just watch me. Another most important thing, most important advice for my students and at my denimation one-on-one sessions and my workshops is just to focus. Focus on their passion. At the same time, be honest. We have a question from Ben. For Danny, Robert, and any other self-advocates in the meeting, can you give an example of a transition you faced in adulthood that was unexpected and or difficult and how you navigated that? Well, for me, I would have to say there's been a couple. There's been a couple, you know, because for me, I've always found myself in situations where I would kind of throw myself in them. And one of them would have to be when I transitioned to college straight away from high school. Like that was my goal. That was, that was my goal. And, you know, one of the things that I was told by a psychologist who did like, you know, who evaluated me in his evaluation said, it's very, because you're autistic, it's very unrealistic for you to live alone for four years at college. And you know what? I was taken aback by that. And so were my parents. They told me I, I really should, go ahead and do it. And I did, you know what? It was kind of, there was a lot of things that was unexpected, you know, like it was the first time me living on my own. I was like 18 years old. I had to be responsible for things. And you know what? It was hard at times, but I just kept get going at it. I took it one day at a time. I feel that that was something that really helped me through it. Then I, after that, went to grad school and graduated with my master's for one within a year. And then I was able to go forward, get my LSW license, failed the test twice, passed the third time. Then after a couple of years, went for my LCSW exam, failed twice, passed it the third time. But, you know, I just kept going, I guess, because I wanted to really prove to myself that I was someone who can succeed, that I was someone who wasn't going to give up. This, even if I failed the first time, I wasn't going to give up. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> it really does, Robert. 
And we have a couple more questions from Ben for Cami. You mentioned your son was working on a farm. Does he live there as well? What is your vision for his future? Ben, thank you. He doesn't live there. It's a day. He goes there during the day. So it's a day program and lives at home. And for now, like Danny, if that if you're living at if home means with parents, he would say he wants that as long as possible. I am very touched by Cheryl's reminder, though, about I think that parents of those autistic individuals who are either not quite independent spirited or not operating at a level that they can be dreaming of living on their own. One of the things that I was realizing is that it is worth looking at trying to figure out residential sooner for parents rather than later so that it's not. I think that is a particular something that you just put out of your mind because you are hoping that you will live forever. Ben, I want to just say very quickly, separately, if we can get in touch afterwards, Ethan has whole volumes of video that we had a videographer who stayed with him from when he was 10 through this transition period. And she would love to find somebody who's interested. And she she has something on an op doc called, that's just called Ethan at 21, I think. It's a New York Times op doc. And you can just get a little snippet of it and you can see it. And him as a as a subject, she's got reams of material. <laughs> and you can, my little book goes along with it, but um, she's always wanted to figure out what to do with it. And it sounds like your project is similar. Oh, I love that. Power of community. Power of community, yeah. Look at, you've got a great little family unit doing, <laughs> yeah. There's a question here for Cheryl. Can you discuss in a bit more detail some of the legislative barriers you've faced with your brother? Yeah, a few things. It seems like everybody on this call is in the United States. So every state operates very differently. And so trying to navigate that without any education from your parents is extremely difficult. So when my husband and I decided we were going to kind of stay put in Florida for a while, I took it upon myself to figure it out. And my father, unfortunately, passed away in October, but he would not talk about future planning. And so I said, okay, fine, I'm just going to come up with one myself. And so if another organization was having an attorney come talk about guardianship, I would show up and take notes. Or if a financial planner was talking about special needs trusts, I would come in and take notes. And I had a plan. And so then when he got sick and guardianship had to transfer over, I had a plan and I didn't have to worry about it. Now we had to scramble to get guardianship done at <laughs> the last hour, but it was it it did get done. And so each state operates very differently as far as guardianship and who can be guardian and what the process is. Each state operates differently as far as services and what they provide. The reason I was able to get around the med waiver is because he got placed in an ICF, which is immediate care facility, because he had some health care needs that had to be addressed. Thank you, New York. He was in multiple organ failure and had specialists that he needed to follow up with. And so in order to do that, the waiver, even though we fought, we qualified for crisis, we easily could have gotten it. One, I couldn't find a house. Two, the Agency for Persons with Disabilities had closed admissions to group homes because of COVID. 
And I would have had to wait eons for him to get into a specialist. And so he needed cardiology, nephrology, urology, like he needed everybody. So this was the path of least resistance. And so the barriers is that every state operates completely different. Now, if I say I wanted to leave here and move to the other side of the country, I would have to start the whole process over again. You have to figure out each state by state. So if I ever decide to leave the state of Florida, I would then have to go figure out what that other state needs. And each state is very different. I can say my husband and I went to Salt Lake over the summer and it was a completely different vibe. People with disabilities were out. It was part of the fabric. Park City is the most accessible town I've ever been in. And I was like, huh, I wonder what their waiver services are like. Like, I'm just kind of tired of fighting with the state of Florida, especially. And then after the mess that was created in the state of New York. So um, as far as the legislation here in Florida, there's 22,000 plus waiting for med waiver services. <laughs> what? I'm hearing everything you say. And I went down to Florida. It's just interesting how one place can look ideal if you're there very briefly. <laughs> and I know all that is true in Florida because they were all telling me about this long wait list. But what I saw there were these communities like this one in Lakeland, Noah's Landing. So it's it's you near them or the Jacksonville Arc. And, and so I was seeing what would never happen. And I was seeing the adults with disabilities out and about and connecting in a way that I have hadn't seen in Massachusetts. And I was very moved by that. So maybe I'm only just saying we can idealize what we don't have at hand. <laughs> and everybody would say, oh, I'm so jealous of your quick and easy access to services in Massachusetts. And I want to say that's day services. We've got great day programs and we got nothing. Everybody lives with their parents. 80 to 90% live with their parents until their parents become incapacitated. There seems to be another side to the story. There's another side to all these stories. Denny, if you could answer Ben's question. So the question was, can you give an example of a transition you faced in adulthood that was unexpected and or difficult and how you navigated that? Well, one transition I would like to mention when it comes to like um, transitioning to adulthood is about um, learning how to be independent after after I graduated with um, an MBA in global strategy and leadership. Transitioning to adulthood, I find is still so challenging. And the biggest challenge I have is um, learning how to like stay on schedule, stay, stay everything organized because being an adult requires a lot of responsibility and it requires so much when you're a person on the autism spectrum, it just requires a lot of responsibility when like, for example, taking care of the house and um, taking care of your deadlines and writing notes down. These organization and um, learning how to respond to emails is the most challenging thing a person on the autism spectrum would have to face when it comes to adulthood. And one of the biggest things, one of the most helpful advice I got is that I have a life coach. Now I have a life coach that's going to help me with all the, um, with all of the transitioning stuff. And I'm really, right now, I just, all I have to do is I keep a notebook. And keeping a notebook is so important because when you write notes down, you have a brain. I can't just be the one who can memorize everything at a time. I just got to write things down. And 
my life coach would always give me some advices. Managing company and managing your life, it can be difficult. But when you have a life coach and having some social social security finances, it's going to help. It's going to really help. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with financial planning, what are some other helpful strategies that you've found useful, Danny and Robert? One thing that has been helpful for me is really budgeting my, like breaking down what my finances are, like breaking down, okay, the thing living on your own is you have to pay rent, you have to pay, you know, utilities, electric, internet, all of that food. And one thing that I do is, you know, I put together, okay, how much I make in a year, then you minus that, then you also minus that by how much rent you have a month, and then you minus the bills and also any other expenses that you have, just really understanding what your bills are and expenses. And it could take some time, you know, it can really take, especially if you're on your own for the first time. It's just really one of the things that I feel is necessary for autistic individuals who are able to live on their own or who want to live on their own is teaching them to budget. And I feel that that's absolutely necessary, especially when it comes to your personal finances. And what I'd like to add with um, what Robert says is that um, for me, how I got started with um, budgeting is getting signed up for some credit cards. What I find very helpful about credit cards is that it teaches me how to pay the bills on time, how to pay back credit on time. So that way it can help me. Not only it's helpful with deadlines, but it also helps me build good credit. And the more I obey the deadlines, the more it builds credit. And eventually, like what Dom Robert says, it's going to help me like know how to calculate all the budgeting when I live on my own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kia, do you have something to share about how you help your clients in this area? Sure. Kind of what Robert was saying, we take a look at how much money is in the paycheck all of my clients, um, they only one of them have lived uh, solely on their own. One of them, for example, you know, he had like a apartment type setup in his um, parents' home. And kind of uh, this kind of goes by what Cheryl mentioned super briefly to not assume that the sibling would be the one to take over. I actually did work with the family on that because they kind of defaulted to the sibling. And I was like, let's reel it back in. And unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, rather, we did catch it before because that sibling wasn't able to to do that. So anyway, so we worked on, you know, he had a um, a job at Kroger and we would have like he was super visual with a lot of uh, color. I'm the same way. I, I color code everything. We would color code everything for like what he was paying for. We started off with just him paying for his Netflix account because, like I said, he did live at home with his family. So we built up that way of interest of his Netflix account. And then he had like a miscellaneous account for his interest, which included vehicles and he collected um, Pokemon trading cards. So we would still put money to the side, even though he wasn't really paying bills in the home. He wasn't paying rent. He wasn't paying, you know, utilities. He did pay for some of his snacks, some of his foods, and then some money we did put aside for his savings. So basically just kind of teaching him percentages and starting somewhere. So Netflix, I believe for that type of account was $10 a month type of deal. 
even though it may not be a big deal to some people, we taught him how to do auto pay on his credit card. And that in itself gave him like that sense of independence, which earlier I mentioned to Danny's comment, independent living doesn't just mean you're by yourself. It's how you navigate your environment independently, whatever that looks like, paying a bill, interacting, taking public transportation. So I'm really glad that you kind of brought that up, uh, Danny, so that doesn't like shy people away or make people feel less than they don't live by themselves. You always have to start somewhere. So those are some of the tips that, you know, we use for him. And eventually, like I said, you know, built it up on putting more money in savings that would have been more towards bills to get him a little bit closer to what that would feel like with being responsible for, you know, paying other bills on his own. This is something that I recommend for individuals on the autism spectrum transitioning to adulthood to start their credit cards. It's, it's great practice. It is. It really is. All right, everyone. Well, maybe we can close on one last comment from the panelists. Just any advice you have to educators or parents when preparing children and adolescents for adulthood? I would have to say, listen, don't give up. They're superstars. And my advice for everybody, when it comes to learning how to be an entrepreneur, since I've launched my startup when I was 14, I've learned that you're never too young to start a company and nobody works alone. Everybody needs help. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Don't be afraid to ask for it. And if you would like to know more information about um, my company, you can go to denimationentertainment.com to join us and as we ignite the magic of autism in animation. Thanks. Cheryl, Cammie? I said it before, but not to default responsibility to the sibling and to have a plan. And I would say what I came away with was Number one that I've seen lots of, including with my own son, adults making this transition and really surprising their families with abilities that they had and desires that they had that they had never been expressed before or revealed before. So the um, Robert starting with listen is listen and watch and be open to that possibility that they will really surprise you. I went into the process thinking, I knew a lot of things that we were going to say no to that wasn't possible because we'd tried them many times. He had failed and I thought it wasn't good for Ethan to keep failing at things. And then something turned around, something shifted in him and he he determined something for himself. And I don't know why. I, I don't know where that came. I don't think I don't know if we did something right or not. I also think that the ultimate goal so often is a community out beyond their immediate first family. So the reaching out and finding whoever those that's going to be and um, friends and real relationships with people who know and love them. So that's the goal. And that's what people are looking to work for and looking to residentials for. And But it can also be a group that gets together weekly for picnics or monthly or something like that. Like that, to me, I saw a lot of success and a lot of love and a lot of real magic, I guess I would say, in those communities. That's up to families and individuals to make happen. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you in the community on Mighty Network. Nice to meet yes, you Yes, thank you. This was terrific. Nice to meet everybody. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. 
Transitioning into adulthood can be challenging for many autistic people. However, if given the right support and guidance, they can thrive during this crucial phase in life. Success looks different for each person, so in order to help others reach their own level of independence, we need to start by listening. Are you a self-advocate willing to share your experiences and educate others? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our Global Autism community online to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Participate in important conversations on our platform and join us at our next monthly roundtable discussion. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.